Okay, will we uh, will we try to get going then? Cool. Yeah, just make make sure. Yeah, Grant. Cool. Um. Hey everyone, and welcome to Rupture Radio, a podcast that looks at news, uh, politics, and culture from a socialist perspective. Um, it's Michael here. I uh, hope everyone's doing well. Um, I am delighted to be joined uh, by Paul Murphy. How's it going, Paul? I'm Grant. Uh, and joining us as a guest uh, is writer and, um, well, is it fair to say journalist or, or former journalist, uh, Carl Kinsella? Like, which, TV's which, Carl Kinsella. Yeah. I guess either way. I prefer theoretical anthropology. Okay, fair. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put that in the, t- the essay tagline yeah, there. that's what I call myself. Yeah, yeah so to, to, to Carl's going to hopefully uh, give us um, some, some information about the, the hilarious media landscape of, of, of Ireland at the moment. Um, but before that, we will need to... Uh, I, I guess, unfortunately, again, consider um, so, so the, some of the further government mess-ups over the, the COVID crisis, in particular, I guess, the te- terrible communications um, that, that's, been, that's been going on. But um, to begin, um, I, I think it would be good to discuss an issue that um, maybe hasn't gotten that much attention, but is, um, I think, quite important in terms of like the, the, the development of how um, the government is responding to, to, to the ongoing housing crisis in, in Ireland. That's the, the, uh, the Land Development Agency Bill. Um, Paul, as someone who's obviously sp- spends a lot of time in the in the murky world of of the Dole, maybe <laughs> could you tell us a bit uh, about what's going on with with, with that? Yeah, um, I mean, basically, this is Fianna Fáil at its traditional, you know, developers' party, big builders' party, best or worst, depending on whether you're someone who's trying to get a home or you're someone trying to profit off homes. Um, I mean, Fianna Fáil in opposition criticised the whole plan for the Land Development Agency. Um, they described some some sort of Del Boy reference, which then Owen O'Brien used against them this week. I didn't catch all the details. Um, but in essence, it is, it's it's huge. I mean, when they originally announced it, they said they compared it to um, the ESB, you know, which is like a vast, like a state programme to deliver utility for people. Um, and the truth is, it is the exact opposite of that. Um, so it is a plan for potentially the biggest privatization and giveaway in the history of the state. Um, they're going to gather up all of the pieces of land, um, public land, take them out of control of local councils, um, despite their talk about, oh, local democracy the gimmicks of having local mayors. But one of the few powers councils have right now is that they can veto off, veto the sell-off of, of public land. So that's all going to be gone. They're going to gather them all up, bundle them together, put, get, give everything that the LDA wants to the LDA, um, put the LDA beyond like FOI scrutiny in a similar way to which NAMA was put, and then have massive sell-offs to private uh, developers. Um, the guarantees in terms of social housing um, will be gone. And basically... It, it marks if they get away with it. It marks the end of like traditional social housing, and instead, what they'll have is just you know market rate housing, private developing housing, so called affordable housing, which is defined in the act as under the market rate. So like one cent under the market mm-hmm. rate, which is completely mm-hmm. unaffordable, counts as as affordable, and then the kind of um, uh, cost rental model. Um, which involves higher rates of of rent than the current differential rate um, for for council tenants. Um, so it's 
yeah, it's 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 very bad. It's very serious. Um, and to be honest, it's gotten less attention than it should have. Um, given given we're building a new Nama basically, and with all the problems, and there will undoubtedly be if they get away with it, big scandals like there were with with Nama. Yeah, like um, in terms of like a Fianna Fáil power grab over over local councils, it does kind of remind me of like I think it was back in the in the seventies when they 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 ran a general election campaign on the the basis of like abolishing local council rates, right? Which was like one of the biggest things that has taken power away from local councils in the past. So this this all seems to be happening again. Um, but it also it it seems to me that it, it like. I, I see certain kinds of people on Twitter, um, certain certain kinds of like I, I guess centrists or, or or you know centrist liberals, um, who see this as a positive development based on a certain kind of. Uh, understanding of what's driving the, the 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 housing crisis, basically on this reading, um, it's entirely to do with like NIMBYs, right? And mm-hmm. um, anything that takes power out of the hands of, of of local councils who are under too much pressure from NIMBYs is a good thing from this perspective. Um, so like what like what what what's wrong with this with with that kind of view of things? Do do you think? Yeah, I mean they they present the the right wing and various assorted yeah. columnists present every um every vote. Anyone, any councillor who ever votes against any proposal for any housing anywhere is blocking housing, mm. right? So if you vote against the privatisation of public land because you say instead we should be building social housing, let's say you vote against it because you say we don't agree, you know what I mean? You're only you're going to privatise, you're going to build 50 houses, we're for building 100 social houses on this site instead. They will say that you're blocking the development of, of housing. That's their line. Um, Emer Higgins, actually, who is shot to renewed fame this week uh, based on her, her outraged video about the supposed mm. rave on Paddy's Day. She's, she's very, I've heard her do this multiple times in the doll in this like, you know, complete faux outrage about these people are stopping social housing. You're stopping housing. Um, because if you vote against, for example, your Devony Gardens giveaway, mm. you're voting against housing. That's the way it's, it's posed. Um, and this therefore is like, oh, Devony Gardens on steroids um, yeah. right across the country. It's amazing because it, the way they sort of communicate this issue is analogous to being like, oh, we're going to make you a pizza and it's going to be a delicious pizza. And the toppings are that we're going to spit on it and, <laughs> and, and sneeze on it and like stand on it. And then you're like, oh, well, I would rather have like a cheese pizza. Why are you so anti-pizza? And, and, Why are you stopping yeah, us? People like, want pizza. And, and yeah, and they're like, you're stopping people from having a lovely pizza. And it's just like, no, that's not what's happening. And it's it, to be fair, you know, this is something that you always kind of uh, you're, that you admire admire about people in the center or on the right is just their brazenness to sort of to mm-hmm. just say the most untrue, like to skew to skew the reality of what's happening in such a such a shameless way. Uh, and like you say, yeah, it's exactly like the O'Devany Garden situation where people like Sinn Fein and people on the left are branded as the sort of enemies of housing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, as someone who's not affiliated with any political party, like, and that's, you know, believe it or not, I do consider myself to be an entirely unbiased spectator. Um, like, my, my only bias is that I want people to have the rights that they deserve. Uh, Why are you so, so you against know, housing? With, exactly, with your talk yeah. of rights and social yeah. housing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I feel like I'm absolutely someone who people would come after and say, you know, like, by because I absolutely support voting against the Odenemy Garden sell off. I I support uh, being against the LDA, and it's like I I am certainly pro housing. I'm because I mean I I have a vested interest because I 
I'm a man who wants a house, you know? And it's like, it's, uh, so it, it is just, it's frustrating to see the whole thing spun in that way. And it, it's scary, you know, you say it's kind of been undercovered by the media and it's so awful because when it eventually, as it, it certainly will make its way into the media because it's going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And at that point mm-hmm. we can no longer ignore it, but then it'll be set up as a, as an equal sides debate as, you know, mm-hmm. why are the people on the left stopping these homes from being built, et cetera. And it's just, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to watch. The, the other thing that happened on housing this week, which is also interesting is, um, you know, cause this government that's, you know, so into the free market, LDA is about like freeing up the creative capacity of private developers to deliver housing, but they're also, they're into interventions in the market to boost the profits of developers and big builders. Um, so there's a thing that like this government, I mean, this government and the last government were pushing for ages, which is the supposed affordable housing schemes, um, which basically means the government will pay towards new houses. You as a first time buyer, you get to buy a certain amount and then the government effectively pays extra money to the developers. <laughs> yeah. And like the left, you know, has been pretty isolated all over years saying like, this is clearly not a good idea. Clearly this money is just going to end up in the pockets of developers. Where it comes from is is a lobbying effort. Literally, you can it's written down. It's a lobbying effort for, by the CIF, the Construction Industry Federation, four or five years ago. They lobbied for it. Then it appeared in the budget. Um, it is literally just a giveaway to private developers because obviously, like some basic supply and demand from these like, you know, free market <laughs> economists would tell them that like, if you just like, have more money chasing the same amount of goods, well, then the price is going to go up. But what happened this week was that the ESRI and then the central bank both came out and said this. And then the government, like, it seems the government TDs at the committee, I wasn't at it, but I read about it, it seems quite incredible. They're, like, putting pressure on the ESRI to retract their opening statement, Mm. to stop their criticism of the government. Um, But it's just clearly just another big giveaway to the developers. Yeah, and, like, the thing about that was, like, like, every, like, as you said, like everybody knew that this was going to happen. Like it was so obvious. And even the, like, even the kind, the kinds of economists who wouldn't necessarily be always sympathetic to the left, even those kinds of economists were pointing this out. Right. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's like, if you had like someone who had like a really unsophisticated understanding of Marxism explaining how things work, they would come up with something like this, but like this does literally appear to be, what what's happened here like it, it, yeah. it's, it's just baffling like i mean that, that's it like it comes from the cif they want more money um like and and, and when you hear them more sophisticated like the, the simple explanation is like oh like why wouldn't you give more give first-time buyers homes who would and again like you, you don't want first buyer first-time buyers to be able to get on the housing ladder you're only interested in social housing that's their response at kind of a base level yeah, yeah. their more sophisticated argument is literally we want to give the developers a whole bunch of money to incentivize them to build more homes when like yeah there's they're already making plenty of profit um but like they're you know what i mean that it's not working to just make them more and it's just all like again it's such an indirect way of like you know turning money into homes you know it's like <laughs> yeah, we could yeah. give some money to first-time buyers who then give it to developers and we hope that it feeds through into them building more homes or alternatively we just take that money and use it to build homes on the land that we already own but obviously that yeah. cuts against their whole neoliberal kind of ideology yeah and like it, it i don't know like it, it's it seems to me like they're they're like the attacks on people on the left i think more, more so with with issues like the 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 odevney garden stuff um that 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 there's a particular kind of like I I would say, maybe generally kind of center left type type of person. But the the attacks on people on the left who oppose these things, there's just like a level of like viciousness in those attacks almost that is um 
I don't know. It's just it's 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 really disproportionate. Like that 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 um the refute like like it, it's I I don't know. Like I I I you see people. I've seen it said in um in in the context of UK politics, and I I think this probably applies here as well. That the, the there's an anger that comes from the 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 centre left at the idea that um. They don't have to. They, they they don't have to sell out so much, right? That they they don't have like in 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 the in the instance of a, of something like Devonie Gardens, you could have just built social housing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the recognition of the fact that that means that the, the the entire kind of career of these people, the the political path they've taken, um, was unnecessary, and the kind of rage that 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 brings out, I I, I think is it's 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 really notable. Anyway, I, I would say. I- I think it it does the same for the political perspectives of people who have, say, for example, voted centre-left their Mm. whole lives. Um, Because for them, it's... They kind of get by on like a diet of denialism where it's like it's like that that tweet, you know, the the Internet hippo tweet of like the centrist rally yeah, yeah. And people holding hands and singing better things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's mm-hmm. I think it hurts people psychologically when you have political figures uh, who will come along and say, no, better things are possible. And not only are they possible, but they're actually very straightforward. Mm-hmm. And I think that wounds people who have lived for 30 or 40 years kind of under the assumption that better things aren't possible because they've been told since the beginning of time by their government that better things aren't possible. And so I think when you come along and say, no, all you actually have to do is build homes on the land that we own, people, people can't take that. Like people, people don't want to believe that's true because it would, it would be too easy. And if we could have done that all along, then why weren't we doing it? And so I think people mm-hmm. confabulate all these sort of excuses as to why mm-hmm. that's wrong and why, in actual fact, the straightforward thing to do, like you say, is give grants to first-time buyers who give the money then to developers and the developers build the homes. You know, and it's just I think on I think that's kind of my issue with 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 the with the center left. If I could sort of uh, you know sort of pontificate for a minute, <laughs> and it is just like. It's that I think that they're scared uh, and I think they're upset. And I think it's that they don't want to let themselves trust. It's like an, it's like a, it's like, you know, an ex who's been hurt too many times and they don't want to, they don't want to put their faith in a new guy (laughs) because they've been let down, they've been let down so many times. And like, and that's legit, it's a legit way to feel like I think anybody has the right to feel traumatized by the last several decades of Irish governance. Um, but the thing is that there are realistic options and straightforward options for, you know, uh, socialist or just at least a, you know, socially democratic way of providing housing. And I just think people people are struggling to believe that. And I think that's why you have, you know, these people still clinging on to Labour and Sock Dems and Greens. And, you know, it's sad. It makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think part, part of it as well is because, like, the better things are possible. And to be honest, you, like... You know what I mean? Whoever votes for privatization of sock dams of, of sock dams, sorry. Privatization <laughs> of Devonny Privatize the sock dams. Okay, semi-privatized. Whoever votes for the privatization of Devonny Gardens, no matter what they say about there being a society and blah blah blah, like they're responsible for us not having good things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, By yeah. their actual votes. If you if you want good things, if you stand for good things, vote for good things, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas like that cuts across the whole idea that like politics is based on, you know, you have to be willing to make the hard choices. And the hard choices are defined as, you know, things which are against the majority of people in society, but which are in favor of those who have power and wealth, <laughs> i.e. the capitalist class and their kind of hangers on. 
Yeah, that's why I always think it's funny where it's like, you know, sort of the Fine Gael perspective is that old thing of like, politics is the art of the possible. Mm. And as it turns out, the possible is also just exactly what we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's just like, it's, it's, it's just such a, such a misleading way of treating the public. And Yeah, and it's like the, 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 extent, the extent to which like the right doesn't realize that like what the left is is offering and doing now is like is already the compromise i mean if the if the left yeah, if the yeah, left yeah. wasn't compromising there would be guillotines out in the streets you know <laughs> like it's it's uh, <laughs> yeah but um I, I think um, speaking of uh, good things not being possible, um, we might as well <laughs> move on to to uh, I, like. I mean, I feel, it feels like this comes up every other week in the podcast. It probably does, but um, I guess the, the the latest in the COVID crisis, and which appears to be that um, we'll be in. I mean, they, like th- th- this is my understanding because they seem to have backtracked and changed their minds several times over the last few days. But we seem to be uh, looking into sticking with level five rese- restrictions until until the end of April at least. Um, so I guess uh, to begin, like how 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 do we all feel about that? Very bad, <laughs> <laughs> emotionally very very bad. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think that they have any other option as far as as far as remaining locked down, because, I mean, we've, we've, we've painted ourselves into a corner as far as the last year. You know, we've been living with this virus for and living is a living is a strong term, <laughs> but we've been living with this virus for the last 12 months or more. And there's been no innovation and no ingenuity and no planning seemingly on behalf of the government you know you see that with the fact that every two weeks we just seem to have an extension of the same idea as far as schools reopening there's just been no Mm -hmm. effort made to provide the resources that we need as far as test and trace no effort to provide the resources that we need to public health so it's just a case of you know if you're not going to give us anything again it's it's the pizza thing it's like if you're not going to give us anything else then lockdown is all we're left with, mm-hmm. you know? And the irony um, is that, like, it's only maybe two weeks since Varadkar was out saying that, uh, oh, if you go for zero COVID, you'll be in, like, you know, lockdown forever. And then, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. living yeah, with COVID yeah. is literally going to mean six months of lockdown. That's how long we're going yeah. to be in lockdown, with a two and a half week break for the pubs and restaurants to open. Mm-hmm. And by the time... You know the deaths that come from that are finished. We'll probably be at over two thousand deaths from that. I mean, that like it still like blows my mind that like they did that and like they aren't called out on it. You know what I mean? In general, people like they made these decisions and but like but then the other consequence is that we're in this horrendous lockdown and like obviously it's devastating for people and you can see people are so frustrated um, and they refuse to say like we're going to be in lockdown anyway, right? And that's true. That's just unavoidable. We're in lockdown because of the ca- the case numbers. Well, how about we actually try and eliminate the virus? Like, um, but again, doing that like means actually taking on like the powerful, the rich, business interests in this country. Because like the reason, there's two reasons that the numbers have stopped falling. One is the variant. Now, ninety percent are this British variant that does seem to be more transmissible. Fair enough. But the other thing is like that, like huge numbers of people are are working because, and, mm. and it's not like you know every Neffet press conference, um, Ronan Glynn and others, and I'm not blaming them, but they'll be out saying you know people really need to work from home, but people want to work from home. People don't want to have to work come into work, and like we've dealt with loads of people in my office who are who are being forced to come into work. We contacted the health and safety authority about it, and health and safety authority said we we don't have any 
it's up to employers to decide do they need people to work from home or not. There's, there's like nobody, there's nobody in the state who has power to say no, you shouldn't be opening. And similarly, like construction, forty percent of construction is open under all sorts of guises, and like. Just the case numbers are not going to come down on that basis. And if they open schools, which I think they're going to try and partially open the schools, then probably the or number will go over one, which means like, like it's, I think it's, you know, we we originally were like, if you don't go over zero COVID, there'll be lockdown four and lockdown five and lockdown six. And I think maybe there won't be now because we'll just be literally in lockdown (laughs) three until people are vaccinated. Like, that's like horrendous. Yeah, and it's like, like I, I, the, the, the thing of people going to work is like the thing that that gets gets me. Like, I, like I, I live in Stony Batters, so I'm near enough to town, and like the traffic going in and out of town at like you know rush hour times is still like quite heavy, which just like mm-hmm. was not the case in lockdown one. Um, but the way the kind of discourse is being manipulated is that people are getting, you know, like you know, obviously the people going on holiday to Tenerife or whatever is like really grating, but that's not the kind of thing that, that is driving it as much as, as, as work is or people going to this like mm-hmm. stupid rave on Paddy's day and everyone kind of losing their mind over that. Um, and I think it's like, it, 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 it just the, 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 the way I, I think the government understands this, right. And that's what they're kind of focusing people's, people's rage at because it's, it's, it's such an easy outlet um, rather than these employers who are obviously making yeah. workers come in. Like it's, <laughs> And I, I needed that that filling, and it's not my fault that my dentist is based in Tenerife. That's, that's just an unfortunate happenstance. They're very I good. Refuse, like. refuse to be judged. Yeah, Tenerife has an excellent culture of dentistry. Do, um, do you think that's funny about see this thing about the British variant being ninety percent? Right, that, that means that like, if we had had mandatory quarantine for everyone coming in to Ireland and. We didn't import the British variant, which happened in, whatever, sometime in December. Um, like, we wouldn't have all these cases that we have now, you know? And, like, yeah. they're, they're going to do, like, next week, they're going to try and rush through mandatory hotel quarantine regulations. But, like, it's a disaster. They're doing, they're only doing 20 countries. It's Austria, UAE, another country in the Middle East, and then every other country is an African country. Um, and, like, obviously, it's only cut it's only a tiny minority of the total travelers coming in and it has the potential to become like an embedded kind of racist thing over time whereby like for some reason we're just targeting African countries and we're going to keep this in place but like if you're from Britain or the US where like cases are completely out of control um, but are obviously powerful countries they're not willing to to say we need mandatory hotel yeah. quarantine there yeah like and the, the thing that like drives me insane about that is like a few weeks ago um like I, you, you could have made the argument that this is just this kind of like blind ideological thing that like Fine Gael and Fianna Foyle are so devoted to a particular form of liberalism that they would never consider uh, introducing the kind of restrictions on freedom um, necessary to, to, to have mandatory quarantine and this is the argument people were making people were saying it's too much of a restriction on freedom and that it would be xenophobic to bring in mandatory quarantine and then within yeah, a week they published, yeah. yeah they publish a list of <laughs> countries that most have just happened to be in africa like like yeah. it's it's mental that's and there's so so much of the commentary from um various people from inside Fine Gael and stuff is that like oh well the reason we can't go for zero covid is because the kind of countries that are doing that are the kind of countries that so regularly clamp down on their yeah. citizens yeah. freedoms yeah. And, and we're we're not a country like that and it's just like i have been locked in my house <laughs> for 12 months you know like you have straight 
stripped me of every possible freedom that I had. You know, it's just so it's it is it is brainworms. It's the only <laughs> the only word for it. I know, but they, but they're able to make contradictory arguments, like entirely contradictory arguments. Do you know what I mean? They they gaslight the entire nation repeatedly um, about all sorts of this stuff, like you know where it's not possible, where it's xenophobic. When then then they do it, like and they don't really get called out on it. I mean, it's it seems. Yeah. I think it's it's we're recording on what is the twenty first of february today yeah. and it is literally it is one year ago exactly i think they had the first community transmission of covid in ireland um and like like for this is a good example is that the backwards contact tracing right so that's a key part of a zero covid strategy is that you actually trace back where people actually got the virus because every time you hear the pubs and restaurants lobbyists out saying no there's no case in ireland ever come from a restaurant it's because we're not actually tracking and tracing to see where did people actually get it from and if you remember back in in last summer there was talk about this and someone i think it was philip nolan was like oh that's just an academic exercise we wouldn't you know we wouldn't kind of be interested in that but it's clear that like they don't have the resources to do it and they've been calling for the resources to do it since august um to be able and like they still haven't done it you know, and they're just like, and yet they, Eamon Ryan will go on the radio, he's on the radio the other day, he's like, we've done everything that Neffet has asked. When like, no, Neffet told you not to open pubs and restaurants, Neffet asked for contact tracing, Neffet's been asking for mandatory hotel quarantine for about eight months now at this stage, and they just like, just tell a big lie kind of thing, and yeah, yeah. to some degree get away with it. Yeah, like, I think it, like... Oh, like obviously a huge, huge, huge problem is the government like not doing those things. But I do think it like it does raise like a broader question as to like why the state capacity to do something mm-hmm. like that wasn't there in the first place. Of it as to like the hollowing out of the capacity of the state in favor yeah. of you know, yeah. privatizations and that kind of thing. Um, but just 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 in terms of like gaslighting specifically, like if if you look at the 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 last few days, I think we see good examples of that. So like for for a timeline, like on Thursday evening, uh, meal that. That 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 the the interview in the in the mirror with uh, Mewell Martin, where he says that significant like re- severe restrictions will stay in place until the end of April. Uh, then the next day, you have um, Leo and 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 Mewell Martin himself like denying that 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 this was the case. And when asked about like the the confusion that's going on, Mewell Martin like refu- like denies that there's confusion. <laughs> he refuted yeah. there was confusion. He said yeah. I refuted it. Yeah. It's a classic misuse of the, of the word. Yeah. <laughs> Refutation. <laughs> yeah, and then finally, it it does seem to transpire that there will be severe restrictions in place un- 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 until April, right? And like the thing is, like I do think like most people, despite being like very upset by the fact, probably are willing to accept that it's mm-hmm. necessary to, to to still have restrictions until April, but just. The, the 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 kind of dysfunction with how they're like delivering that information just really has to stop like i saw i can't remember who but someone on twitter was suggesting that the the reason for this happening is basically that Fianna Fáil and Finnegale just don't trust each other and like um one of them always has to be the the the, the other to 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 like deliver the the information first and so that's why you see this kind of thing happening but like it's just it's it's just a mess, right? And it's just mm. demoralizing, really. I'm I'm gonna totally shock you for a second, and I'm gonna blame Leo Varadkar for that <laughs> because, uh, like, I think there's just been such a legacy now throughout the management of COVID, where it's because it, I I I'm sure that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil don't trust each other, mm-hmm. but I think he personally has on so many occasions, yeah, intentionally gazumped, yeah. Yeah, he, like he has gone on television the night before something is to be officially yeah, yeah. announced and announced it himself. Yeah. And it's just he's like 
It's mad because he's he's like he's like a rogue and a maverick, uh, but in the worst possible way. And he's so boring that it seems unfair to like sully the word rogue or maverick by applying <laughs> them to Leo Varadkar. But like that is exactly he he's like he's a he's like a loose cannon. He's the worst loose cannon. He's like he's like you know MacGyver the MacGyver of sucking. You know, the, or McGarnagle, McGarnagle, the McGarnagle of of being lame. Um, yeah. One thing they had to, uh, the Mirror had to release the video of the interview with Martin to prove that he said what he actually said. Yeah, yeah because yeah, they tried yeah. to deny it. Like you know, yeah. um, bizarre. And, that, and the the female journalist Kira Phelan, yeah. who did did a great job, yeah. did her job, did a great job. She was getting tons of abuse over any ambiguity like over the fact that there was ambiguity mm-hmm. and it's like it's not her fault that yeah. there's ambiguity it's like <laughs> the ambiguity is an intentional part of the policy like they are mm-hmm. it's not that it's being reported ambiguously it's that their plan is ambiguous their plan is ambiguous because they don't have one um so it was yeah it was really kind of um demoralizing to see her getting it in the neck and from some other journalists as well which i always hate right okay um, well i mean like i mean i i don't i mean i i love i love to to slag off journalists <laughs> but i mean it's bad when you see someone getting it in the neck for doing their job correctly mm, yeah like i i, I saw that a bit as well like i, I think it was like it, there was a, ge- a general anger at the that being the medium through this information was released um and obviously yeah unfortunately some of the anger was directed at her rather rather than Mio Martin for for doing that in the first place, but just at this then, then in terms of like you know f- further instance of g- 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 gaslighting again is like the government will co- will constantly talk about you know the 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 pressure they were under from the public to 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 reopen over yeah from over Christmas health and yeah, yeah, Christmas. yeah yeah which like uh, and, and you know ultimately that's why we're in the position now because we did open then but like mm-hmm. first of all like if you looked at polling at the time that just like mm-hmm. wasn't true like a majority of people wanted. Uh, you know, if, if restrictions were necessary, people wanted to keep the restrictions. But like, even if that was true, the thing I, I don't understand is like what like if if they had, for example, opened uh, just for like one week and only allowed like household visits and not hope opened re- re- retail or um or hospitality, like surely that would have been enough to to allow people to experience some kind of Christmas. Now, probably that would have been bad as well. But like, I, I just don't understand. Well, sorry, I do, do do understand why they're claiming it, but I don't understand how they're able to get away with claiming that the entire public wanted the entire month of December to be restriction free, so we could all go shopping and you know go go for 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 meals and pints and in in, in and restaurants. If you go back and look at the the Neffet advice, is interesting, right? Because Neffet actually took into account, and I think you, you would have needed to back at the start of December. Look, people do want like some sort of quote unquote meaningful Christmas trademark, mm, yeah. um, <laughs> as in they did want to be able to visit their family and so on and, yeah. and Neffet's approach was like we, we need to try and facilitate that and they, they explicitly said to, we we want to we want there to be household visits um, and in order for there to be household visits and for that to be safe then we cannot open the pubs and restaurants um, and they were in favour as far as I remember from kind of second week of December third week of December they were in favour of I think six people being able to visit which was ultimately the thing around Christmas but they were in favour of six people for longer so Neffet was actually in favour of like more family visits but they said the only way that can happen is on the basis of you can't open the pubs and restaurants and the government went out of their way to be like no we're gonna we're gonna do the family visits not as much as Neffet says we can have in order then and we're gonna tra- the way the, mar- the language that Martin used in the doll we're gonna trade that off 
with opening the pubs and restaurants, you know, <laughs> which just shows that like this mental health, meaningful Christmas stuff is nonsense. Like, do you know what I mean? If you ask most people, I mean, I, there's definitely people who would choose to go to a pub or restaurant than their family for Christmas. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But on average, I presume most people would say, oh, yes, it's more important for me to be able to visit my family and, you know, however you define family uh, at Christmas than, uh, than a pub or restaurant. Yeah, see, this is where like the, I I often feel conflicted, you know, because I love I love the pub, I love restaurants, I love going out, I love seeing my friends, um, and it's you know so it's kind of it's a weird, it is it is very much it's it is alluring and seductive and the idea that you know oh the government says it's fine that the pub is mm, open yeah. so you can go to the pub and that is it's such a hard thing to um to sort of negotiate within yourself because it's like you've spent however long five months six months locked up and now here's this this kind of state mandated uh sort of like state endorsed uh trip to the pub that you can have and i think that's why you know you end up just feeling increasingly sorry for the public at every turn because mm-hmm. you know it's all uh, we're all operating within the parameters that the government sets for us and uh and because the government has abdicated their responsibility on on so many occasions you know that's why we're in the position we're in and like you say uh, michael like you pointed out um like people were happy for the lockdown to continue over christmas Mm -hmm. you know to some extent uh and like we i think we opened up retail on about the sixth or seventh that's right and i think we opened up pubs around somewhere between the 12th and the 16th or something like that and it's like I say opening up opening up retail on the 8th was that fucking necessary like you know what yeah. you know you know and they like kept just- it open 10 days after Neff had called them to close it Neff had called them for to close it on the 21st of December because things were out of control and they left retail open until the 31st of December so they could yeah. get the like post Christmas Exactly. And, and, you know, and it's just so cynical. And I remember, you know, for all the talk of a meaningful Christmas, I'm pretty sure the kind of um, the push notification everybody got to let them know that our Christmas strategy had fallen apart and that we were going to have to lock up immediately mm-hmm. and that we were all basically fucked was on uh, Christmas Eve, which is yeah. just like, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't think you can actually discount on an emotional, psychological level the damage that does to people. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, you know, obviously Christmas is a bit silly. It's kind of silly that we are so sentimental mental about it but the fact is that we are that's how our society works Mm -hmm. and i think for for people to constantly be getting bad news and for that to be married to something like oh we've reached christmas we feel like maybe we're getting a break from this and then to be gut punched again on christmas eve i think you you tally that all together and it's stuff like that that explains why people at this point now feel so laid low by the whole thing yeah and find it so hard to manage and 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 ultimately the government bears just a huge responsibility for that and i'll i'll never i'll never say that any one party uh bears the entirety of the responsibility for it like i'm sure there are people out there who could have been making better choices mm-hmm. there's certainly people out there who could be pushing the government in a in a direction i think more effectively but the fact is that you know the government is the government they are the ones who set the rules they're the ones who then break those rules they're, they're the ones who are unclear about the rules um so i think at the end of the day they bear the responsibility for the weight and pain that everybody feels now because i think everybody seems to be in agreement that the last two weeks three weeks have been the roughest yeah, yeah so I mean, one of the things pain. you see on twitter is people saying you defend the government People say, you know, nobody, Leo Varadkar wasn't dragging people out of their houses and bringing them into to pubs. Nobody forced people to go to pubs. But like, like exactly like you say, like the government said, 
like now it's safe to do it. Uh, not just it's safe. Here's a tax incentive to go out to restaurants, right? They positively incentivize yeah. people to go out to restaurants and pubs. They encourage people to do it. Like so, then the idea that they can wash their hands of it and blame people for individually like seizing the moment of opportunity that they have to see their friends yeah. or whatever. Also, if they knew, even if they knew that this thing's going to be a disaster, because they know then they're going to be locked up for. Do you know what I mean? Well, now it's like after that, what, January, February, March, April, mm. May, into May, like over four months afterwards. Yeah. And it's just like not to like retread well-worn ground, but like if had they gone into level five back when uh, Neffet had initially recommended mm-hmm. it in October, October yeah. or at the end of September and maybe stayed closed until like the 20th, 21st, like it's at least plausible that you wouldn't have had anywhere near as dramatic an uptick, although again, probably yeah. you would have seen some kind of uptick. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's worth noting that like in terms of distorting the, this that, that narrative, like, you know, the government hasn't exactly been alone in doing Doing mm-hmm. that, it has had um, partners in crime, as it were, um, in 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 the media, basically like running interference for them. And like I, I know, I've I've, see, I've, I've seen people um, describe it back when 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 Corbyn was leader of the UK Labour Party. Describe the problem with journalists in the UK being that they see their job to hold the public to account rather than to hold uh, the government to account. And I think we kind of see that more and more. Um, now right like the the degree to which the 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 media has been like but both just like like accepting the government's narrative um straightforward but also like you know adding it to it to it to it themselves like so so what 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 do we think of the 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 current media environment in 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 that way then um <laughs> right. That's so, a, a setup question there. Like, yeah, he's teed it uh, up for you. What do I think about the media? <laughs> Strap mm. in, like, yeah. No, I think. Oh, with the with the best will in the world, if I had written some of the columns that were written before Christmas, advocating that the government stand up to Neffet by way of ignoring them and reopening things with urgency. I would not be able to sleep at night. And that's what I don't understand about the kinds of people who, I guess, at some point in their life are politically minded and want to express their opinions and want to want to engage with society and they become columnists and reporters. And yet what they want to do, what they advocate for is so consistently dangerous and so consistently defeating of the public interests and it just it kind of horrifies me and when you try to engage with people like that on twitter they laugh like they do laugh you off because i think the conclusion i've come to is that they see they are they are unfortunately political actors they are people who have an ideology that unfortunately mirrors the ideology that's in government right now um it's an an ideology of you know what they might call free market, um, what really is just injustice. Um, and they are, they are given these massive platforms in the Irish Times, in the Irish Independent, um, on RTE, on News Talk, to just advocate for things that don't even need advocating for because the government's fucking doing them anyway um you know so it's it's just it's something that really is is terribly disheartening and it's it's a shame because there are lots of great news reporters in ireland there are a lot of i mean like you know people like richard chambers and gav riley like kira Phelan this week who have done such good work in um you know just 
keeping the public well informed as to what's happening. Rob O'Hanrahan as well, I should mention, Aoife Grace Moore, Paul Hosford, all fantastic. And I always want to do that because I criticise the Irish media so much that it feels important to note the people who are really good at their jobs. Um, But all of that is undermined by the fact that the kind of the opinion sections are dominated and allowed to be dominated by the editors mm-hmm. of people who are, who are objectively wrong, demonstrably wrong, provably wrong. Mm-hmm. They are saying things that aren't true. They are saying things that can be picked apart in a matter of three tweets onto it. You read a Pat Leahy article and as soon as you click into the replies, you will see people demonstrating why he's wrong. And that is what frustrates me with the philosophy of column writing. When I wrote columns Mm. for Joe, and people think when I talk about being the greatest columnist in Ireland, <laughs> you know, yes, obviously it's a joke. It's a, I'm, but the the point of the joke is is to say that none of the others are any good, and that what I'm doing is at least as good, if not better, than what they're doing. And the reason for that is because I, when I'm writing a column, and this should be the philosophy for anyone when they're writing a column or any kind of argument, is that it should be impenetrable. It should be there shouldn't be any point at which someone can pull the rug out from beneath the argument that you're making. And people like Pat Leahy and Mark Paul, etc., don't give a fuck about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Owen Harris, all those people, they don't give a fuck whether anyone thinks they're wrong or whether anyone can prove they're wrong. And that is just not an acceptable way to go about making an argument in public. And editors should be on top of that. Editors should care about that and the public should care about that. The public does care about it. Um, because you can see now the sort of backlash that those people get basically any time they write or say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously, like, that's not... The fact that they get so much backlash online isn't pleasant, but for me, that's kind of a secondary thing to the fact that they just have this free space to say the most inaccurate, you know, demonstrably wrong stuff, and there are no consequences. Um, so, I don't know. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. I hope that answers your question about what I feel about the Irish media landscape. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I, I, I think there's something about um, a, a lot of these journalists being on Twitter that really pulls the, the rug out from, from under mm-hmm. them in a huge way. Um, that, as you say, you kind of click into the mentions of them and you see people correcting them like very simply but then you also see them just like completely losing their minds and go and and just Mm -hmm. like having their brain poisoned by all the worst aspects of twitter as well that really kind of i guess destroys the 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 image that that they would like to to cultivate as as um irish times journalists because like i don't know like I, I, i i would occasionally talk to my parents about this kind of stuff and they're not online at all um so they have like no idea of the extent to which um all these irish times journalists are kind of like loathed by by irish yeah. Twitter. like yeah. but that's that's one of the interesting yeah. things is like in a way there was a period in time when kind of pat lee um was writing articles which were basically a continuation of a twitter argument he was having and yeah, then he yeah. was he was putting one side of the argument in the irish times and i wonder kind of people who are re- just reading the paper it's like watching one side of a tennis match yeah. like because his articles yeah, don't make yeah. any sense without the context of mm. the twitter argument you know what i mean he would write arguments like you know particularly around the zero covid stuff and saying nobody predicted what was going to happen all of that was a response to a debate that was happening around twitter around his articles and it was funny because i wrote to the irish times at that time saying like can i do a response to mark paul and um pat lee and they were like 
no, please send us a letter. <laughs> so, so we did the article for the journal.ie instead about zero COVID. Um, just one, one other, um, I thought a very good piece of journalism during the week, which I really enjoyed, um, and he is a very good journalist, is Ken Fox. Um, and Ken Fox managed to um, get the uh, get the, the paper, and I think paper might be putting a big term on a, on a very inadequate thing, the supposed paper that Mark McSharry sent to um, Michal Martin at the start of December calling for Ireland to go to level two. And Ken Fox obviously like, pursued this diligently because originally they said, oh no, um, they, we can't give this under FOI because it's marked on a confidential basis. But he pursued it, appealed and stuff, and he got it. And like... It is the kind of like absolute nonsense which you'd expect. Um, so it's it's like, do you know the stuff that you see that has like echoes of the COVID conspiracy nonsense? So like, you know, one of these talking points is, oh, the WHO is against lockdowns, which is like, that isn't what the WHO was saying. The WHO was saying that like, yes, lockdowns aren't a solution, and um, but they are part of the armory and so on. So he refers to that. He refers to the fact that there's no evidence that it's coming from households, th- that it's coming from um, pubs or restaurants. It's all coming from households. They're saying 95% of deaths involve people with underlying clinical health conditions, which is another like COVID conspiracy kind of thing. So like Mark McSharry, like I just, I just really appreciated that like Ken Fox pursued this to reveal it because I think those people like Mark McSharry, like Jim O'Callaghan, like Owen Murphy, who at the time were lauded by large sections of the media for standing up to Neffet, for standing up to the consensus, are actually like held accountable for the kind of views that they were pushing, which like what they were pushing was ultimately implemented and it caused like, you know, it'll it'll have caused 2000 deaths. Yeah, like I think like there's a kind of a, a broader point here, I think, which is that like like obviously people like Pat Leahy, like what they're doing with regard to this is irresponsible, but like, I don't think they're, you know, they're not like consciously going out to, to be misleading or anything. Right. Like I, I don't think Pat Leahy wakes yeah. up in the morning and is like, I am a government lapdog and this is good. Um, I, th- I, I, th- mm. I, I think it's, it's, there, there's more of a subconscious ideological thing going on, right? Like that they see the, the Irish times or the, the Irish independent as the kind of like, guardians of like you know mm-hmm. acceptable rational political discourse and things that are said from what they perceive as a center that's um you know that that's proper rational politics and everything else is ideology but but we're not ideology um and it's that that that's what that's where the the the, the impetus for this comes from i think um and I, yeah and I, I do think it's important to 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 recognize that broader trend and i guess a lot of the journalists you were mentioning there, Carl, um, most of them are relatively young. So like mm. um I would have some hope that 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 perspective is 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 being challenged by uh by a younger generation who don't see politics in in in, in the same way as that kind of like network of like Irish Times journalists or, or Irish independent journalists. Well, that's yeah i do think that it's it's shifting uh, it, to be fair i think it's shifting quite quickly um from a point of um you know like the what they perceive as the center is becoming very different like i think people like and i don't want to i don't want to speak for gav riley or richard chambers or anything like that at all but just my sense from kind of watching them and from knowing them a little bit just by their twitter behavior uh and that kind of thing um kind of you know closely paying attention to young journalists in Ireland like I have done you know I think what they perceive to be the centre is something that's a lot more passionate than dispassionate I think like what people like Paddy he believe in is 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 that the best argument is the most dispassionate one mm. um which is just you know there's no there's there's no inherent value to being dispassionate um 
if, if anything, it's going to cut you off from actually understanding the real world implications of what you advocate for. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I think Irish media is is on. I think it's going to improve you know, as these young people become the veteran people and become the editors and, and actually set the agenda. And I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that, to be honest. Um, not least because, I mean, it'll be easier to, it'll be easier to write for, <laughs> it'll be, uh, I, you know, because like, as, as it stands, like, you know, I, I wouldn't really want to be associated with almost any Irish uh, media organization. Um <laughs> You write, uh, you write a column for Rupture, Rupture Radio. Yeah, my fee is 1,000 euro per. Uh, <laughs> Send us the invoice after you do a year, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think, you know, for people who are interested in the media, it's, it's cool to see, like, I mean, not cool, but it's been interesting to watch how the Irish media has handled something as massive as COVID mm-hmm. because like, it's mm-hmm. just been so strange and anomalous. Like you kind of have the thing of like certain journalists have become celebrities essentially mm-hmm. because of, of how much now we are engaged with the news. And then you have other journalists who have become almost like public enemies and, and it's a good, it's a good who, point. Yeah. I hadn't thought yeah, about that. Like, it's, it's like people are really focused on the news, like in a way that they yeah, wouldn't yeah. normally be. Yeah. That's yeah, it is. It's interesting. Yeah, I always notice it because I know whenever the news gets really bad, I get way more Twitter followers. I, yeah, I, yeah. I surge in Twitter followers every single time the news is bad. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, yeah. But, um, it's it's been. I mean, it's been kind of a, a very strange year for for the Irish media landscape, and I think it'll be interesting to watch how it develops now from from this point. Yeah, and like I, I do, I do think that is an interesting point. Like the extent to which, like. I'd say like Gavin Riley and Richard Chambers especially have become like massive celebrities, but even like to a lesser extent, like Paul Hosford and Eva Grace Moore as well, mm-hmm. I think have just, just because of the attention on the, the, the news in, 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 in this context. And I think what that tells you as well is like people like it when journalists like do their jobs, right? Like yeah, do what yeah, they're yeah. supposed to do. Like it is such an important, um, such it's, it's such an important role. Like, um, uh, and it, it would be a shame were it were it left to to people who who, who weren't doing it um, properly, as 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 you were saying. Something interesting there is is like the effect of social media in kind of leveling the playing field a little bit between journalists, because like mm-hmm. in the past, definitely, if you weren't in terms of TV media, if you weren't in the, in the RTE, then you weren't anywhere. And in terms of print media, if you weren't in the Irish Times or the Irish Independent, and firstly, the Irish Times, and secondly, the Irish Independent, you weren't really anywhere. And like all the journalists that you've mentioned there in terms of Gavin Riley, Richard Chambers, Aoife Grace Moore and Paul Hosford, they're all in kind of like what would be seen as like the second class of kind of publications. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? The Examiner and whatever TV3 is called these days, Virgin Media <laughs> or something. Um, and like... You know, that is a positive of social media is that it does like level the playing field to some degree. It means you have more direct access. Um, and I think it is like a huge challenge to like the more establishment kind of journalists because it just means like, remember, I remember around Jobstown and the whole Jobstown Not Guilty thing was like the extent to which they saw their role as kind of the guardians of and the gatekeepers of access to information being challenged by like social media. And they really didn't like it, like, because it just meant... Mm. 
Do you know what I mean? Like they, they have this position which is in between the people who actually have power and the people. Mm-hmm. And like that's a very important position that they have. And the more that's undermined, the less that they have a clear role for themselves that they feel it's challenged. And it's why they react in the kind of way that they do to like, you know, Twitter storms or whatever. That's it. I think you even get like citizen journalism now. Like I think it was a student. Um, I can't remember his Twitter name. His name is Keen. But when uh, it was he, he, it was him who Freedom of Information acted the, uh, the report from either department of was the department of department of health and then the department of justice i think were compiling reports of tweets oh yeah uh, you know tweets by hosier and, and marion keys and, <laughs> and other kind of prominent people on things like direct provision and how covid is being managed i think it was it was just him he's just like a law student and it was him who who foi'd that and like you know i think that's a really cool thing um because I, especially you mentioned Ken Fox earlier on, like he has a cool guide for how to FOI yeah. things, you know, that like yeah. anybody, anybody can use, true. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, social media plays a major role. Something I always try to remind myself, I don't know if you guys feel the same, but that like, I mean, Twitter is a lot more important to journalists and to politicians than it is to your average person. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah. as in like <laughs> there, are, there are things that take place or people who are prominent on Twitter that like sometimes you'll mention them to a friend who's mm-hmm. not particularly online and they'll just be like, I have no idea yeah, what yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you'll be like you are so lucky <laughs> hang on to that blissful ignorance for as long as you can um but like, yeah definitely like you know there there may even be some people out there who haven't heard of carl Kinsella, which is <laughs> insane uh, but uh yeah so yeah i think uh i yeah so that's something i always try to bear in mind when i think about because i think social media has done a lot of good it's obviously done a lot of bad but then for so many people out there it's mm-hmm. done a lot of nothing Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a good point. So I just it's it's, just, it's it's also interesting to think about. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's that's probably as good a place as as any to 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 end this. Um. Thanks very much, everyone, for for listening. Um. Be, before we go, does and no, nobody has anything to plug? Do we? I don't know. So um, can we can we mention Carl's novel? Too early for the novel. Too early. <laughs> accepting accepting pre-orders now. Do a do a Kickstarter for it, like yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. like if you give like over a thousand euros, you get to like determine what happens to the main character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, um, th- th- thanks very much, uh, Paul. First of all, and um, thanks very much, Carl, for uh, joining us. Um, thanks for having me. Great. Um, yeah. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Um, goodbye. That was good. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. I hope thanks, Michael. I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't. I, I kind of black out when I do these things. Yeah. So I don't really know. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I enjoy. I enjoyed that. Wake up in your face, fuck. You 